Father, we chase after so many things, but nothing compares to your embrace. And I pray that you will draw us back to you, that this will be a reminder that you are standing, waiting for us, that nothing is impossible for you. The same power that resides in you, the same power that resided in your disciples, that they worked miracles in the Old Testament and New Testament, that same Holy Spirit power resides in us. And we just pray, Lord, today that you would build our faith and confidence. Father, I pray that you would refocus our attention on you, the living God. As we've come into contact with you in worship and praise, and we've sung your praises, and we know you inhabit the praises of your people. And now, Lord, don't let anything in me get in the way of what you want to say to us today, that you would take these words, anoint them, the living word of God, transform our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We had three individuals baptized first service and two this service, so five baptisms today. I think we need to give God a clap. Praise, yeah. Yes. It's our goal to have baptisms eventually once a month. So we're probably gonna schedule something more around Palm Sunday again, but if you know people that wanna to, want to be baptized or let's just see what God does as far as bringing new believers uh, into the kingdom. Uh, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. God is the one that brings people into the kingdom. God is, a, is the one who grows churches. He's the one that brings people to Christ, draws them to himself. So we just rejoice in what God is doing and does. In the summer of 1980, I was working at a Washington, as a Washington State lifeguard at Wenberg State Park on Lake Goodwin, north of Seattle. As lifeguards, our responsibilities were to enforce the safety rules, to control the crowds, my least favorite job, keeping the beach clean, which we did, but most important, we were there to guard lives. Our ranger was a strict supervisor and he required us to swim every day and to practice our life-saving techniques. It was a large swimming area so it required much more than just a pole to reach somebody that was drowning. We practiced as, as the four lifeguards, we practiced consistently saving each other's lives. The primary tool for water rescue was a surfboard. The surfboard rested on the edge of the beach, the front tip in the water with the back of the surfboard on the end, on the sand, right in front of the lifeguard chair. And our procedure, which we practiced over and over, was to swing under the bar, out of the lifeguard chair, run to the water, grab the surfboard board without slowing down or losing stride. Then we'd, we'd run the, the, the surfboard out as far as possible and jump on it and begin to paddle. Upon reaching the struggling victim, we'd grasp the victim's arm as we turned the board sideways. We'd pull the arm over the board pull them up on side onto the board and bringing the victim on top and we could do all of that without ever taking our eyes off the spot of where the victim was. All this was done on a daily basis practically. We practiced a lot. There was no place in the swim area that we could not reach in less than 15 seconds. 
Being the best paid lifeguards in the state, we took great pride in our skills and preparedness. Well, this particular day, it was the 4th of July weekend, the busiest days of summer, very hot, very crowded. The beach was absolutely jam-packed with people. The swimming area had two main parts, the shallow and the deep end, divided by a long rope buoy. The deep area had a raft at the far end. The big challenge for everyone was to swim to the raft. It's always the challenge. And that's where most people got into trouble. I was in the chair at this point in time, which meant I was first call to rescue. And I was watching a not-too-skilled swimmer as he left the shallow area, and he began to thrash his way towards the raft. His strokes became slower and slower. He was getting tired, very tired. He desperately needed rest. But at this point, the time he needed rest, he was a long way from the raft, and it was even longer, further from the beach. There was no place to rest. Then in that moment that makes every lifeguard hold their breath, reminded that human life is very fragile, the boy stopped and began to struggle. He, re he reached up for something to hold on to, but there was nothing there. Then he panicked and went under. Had Funniest Home Videos or YouTube been around at that time, and the camera rolling, we might have made it on TV or the internet. I vaulted out of the chair, under the bar, a perfect dismount, keeping my eyes on the spot where the boy went down. I did exactly as I'd practiced dozens of times, picked up the tail of the surfboard, not losing a stride, and began to run out through the shallow water. At the exact same moment, a kid came out of nowhere and ran across my path, and the surfboard cut his feet out under him like a classic sideline football tackle. He and his friend chasing him landed with their full weight on the tip of the surfboard, driving it under the water into the sand. I kept going. The surfboard stopped, but I kept going. and sprawled out on the surfboard, half in and out of the water, entangled with this kid and his friend. I managed to keep my eyes on the spot that was still out there. At this point, I don't know if I was more concerned about my pride or the drowning victim. And it didn't help that my three fellow lifeguards behind me were howling with laughter by this time. Now, I finally did arrive at the spot as the boy was coming up for the second time. And there's one thing I will never forget. The change in the boy's face. It was the change in the look of all the victims that I pulled out that summer. What had begun as a total look of panic and terror, clutching for something, changed to calmness and rest. Rest as I put the boy on the surfboard, and brought him back to shore in safety. This boy had been desperate. He found no rest, no place to turn, nothing to hold on to. Over a set, going under twice, almost three times, literally about to die when he was saved. How many of you worked as a lifeguard ever? Okay, there are three of us here. Three of, oh, four. There we go. Okay. You understand what I'm doing. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like that drowning boy? Life is over your head, circumstances too deep, trying to hold on to something in desperate need of rest. All of us find ourselves in situations sometime in our lives, not necessarily literal water or a lake, but we're in over our heads in situations that we find ourselves desperately in need of rest. So what do we do? I want us to look at a, something that Jesus said 
in Matthew 11. As we look at the rest of the story, Matthew 11, we're going to read verses 25 to 30. It's on page 792 in the, rack in, in the Bible in the rack in front of you, page 792. As we look at Matthew 11, starting with verse 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to be me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. Some of you are sitting here thinking about rest, and you live in this frenetic, frantic life. But rest is in short supply today. What is Jesus saying to us about rest? First of all, he says to us that, number one, we all have yokes. We all have yokes. In other words, we all carry burdens. We don't use the word yoke very often regarding a burden. Uh, you know, all egg jokes aside, it's all white with me, but that's, that's another thing. A yoke, a yoke was a harness, and it was a, a device made of wood that was placed on the shoulders of a beast of burden, typically an ox, binding two of them together, and it attached something to them something to pull, a plow or a wagon, etc. If you look at Western movies, typically you'll, you'll see two oxen with a yoke on them and they're pulling a, a wagon in a wagon train. The yoke connected the oxen to work or to a burden, something of weight to pull. So a yoke was really a burden. And Jesus uses this term, yoke, to illustrate that people carry loads. People carry burdens. People are attached to heavy things that weigh them down, and they make them tired. And when they become tired, they need rest. But there's no way to get rid of this yoke or this burden in order to get rest. What were the yokes or burdens that Jesus was talking about in his day, and, and what might they be today? Well, first of all, there are yokes that we choose, letter A, yokes we choose. In that day and in today, there are religious yokes, religious yokes. The religious leaders of that day had laid tremendous burdens on the people called the yoke of the law. It included the, not only the law of Moses, which was the Ten Commandments and ceremonial law, but they had included all their additions of rules and regulations and interpretations. And instead of a relationship with God, they had rules of engagement. Rules for every imaginable part of Jewish life. Do this and don't do that. It had, by, by the time Jesus came, it had become incredibly difficult to follow all the rules and regulations in order for them to be right with God. It's like reducing a marriage relationship to a list of things he has to do, a list of things she has to do, and this is a list of things nobody can do. That's not relationship, that's rules. It's not a relationship. Well, today the yoke of religion gives us rules and regulations, lists of obligations, lists of what we don't do, so God will be pleased with us. And, and we have all these lists of things that we can't do and we don't want to do. And, and I, I, I would say I'm more spiritual than you are because I don't do more things than you don't do. And we list our spirituality by what we don't do. 
And everything is on the external. What's observable, it's not in the heart. And we live in constant fear. Did I do enough? Am I doing enough to please God? Or have I stopped doing the things I shouldn't, stop, shouldn't do so, so that God is pleased with me? We live in constant fear. Am I accepted by God? Living this guilt and fear. Religious yokes produce three things. Three things. The first one is guilt. Because I can never measure up. And some people live their whole life with guilt, wondering if they're going to ever measure up and be accepted by God. And say, man, I, you know, if, if, if that's our burden, our yoke is religious, then we have to do or not do so many things, and we're constantly living in guilt. Or pride, letter B. People look at their life and they see the things they're doing right and they say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. Or third, legalism. Legalism. My heart does not matter. My attitude doesn't matter. What I think doesn't matter. It's only what I do. I gauge and measure everything by visible things and internal. So the heart, the attitude, and thought life don't matter. I look good, therefore I am good. And so we live this fantasy of I, I look good, so I must be good. As long as you do this, keep up appearances. I can do whatever I please as long as I look good. Then we wonder why people look at the church and say, man, there are a lot of people that are hypocrites. Religious yokes. Some people live in this religious world system constantly, and there's no rest. And the question is, are you here today always trying to do enough to please God, to make God happy, to look good. Those are religious yokes. Then there are financial yokes. Financial yokes. Many people today have a burden of finances. Everything we see in advertising is designed to make us dissatisfied with what we have. Okay, you have a car. I, I, I never forget, I just paid for my car once, and, and the next thing I know, the car dealer is trying to get me to buy a new car. Okay. Well, that's not good enough. It's five years old. I mean, good night. It's got 80,000 miles. You know, it's, it's designed to make us dissatisfied. We see advertisements and new, where there's new clothes. And, and of course, it, you can't wear last year's fashions because this year's fashions are better. And so it makes us dissatisfied. We feel like we've got to do that. And so we get caught up in these, these replacement of all the old stuff or, or we get caught up into debt, financial traps, because we must have everything we see. We, we do everything because we want our children to have it better than we had it. And we get caught up in these financial yokes. And you know what? There's no rest. No rest. And there are material yokes. One more possession. One more possession. We go to boat shows and car shows and home shows and discover things we cannot live without. How many of you went to a home show ever and discovered something that you'd never known existed before? Yeah, it's like, wow, I need that. You know, we didn't know it existed. Now we have to have it. That's just what happens. It's, a, it's this material thing. We add a car. Now we maintain two cars or three cars, whatever. No rest. Just one more possession, just one more thing, and we'll be happy. We have friends who took some of their investment dollars and decided to buy a lake cabin. They were really excited about owning this lake cabin. And every day off, they went up to their lake cabin and they mowed the lawn. <laughs> and they re-insulated, and they re-roofed, and they repainted, and resided, and they mowed again, they pulled weeds, and there's no rest. I said, you know what, they, we, we were their friends, and so we went up the first few times after that. I said, you know what, 
I want, to, I want a day off. I don't want to go mow your lawn or pull weeds or whatever. I, I helped him re-roof his roof. I did all that stuff, and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I don't need a cabin. Judy and I decided then we're not going to ever buy a cabin. We couldn't afford it, but we were never going to buy one. They bought a cabin to own, but it owned them. I'm not against lake cabins or cabins. That's fine if you have one. Just don't ask me to go mow your lawn. That's all I can say. <laughs> but there are yokes of material possessions. We think we own them, and they actually own us. Then there are lifestyle, lifestyle yokes. We choose our values and our activities and our priorities and schedules. I had lunch with a friend of mine once, and I asked if he and his wife were developing friendships. Did they have friends? He said, you know, our, our life is so busy, we're, we don't have time to develop relationships with other people. I thought, what? Seriously, you don't have time to do that. It's, it's a lifestyle. These are choices we make. Then there are relational yokes. Sometimes we're in relationships. It could be an unhealthy codependence relationship, a controlling relationship, something that's binding and not freeing. Healthy relationships should leave us rejuvenated and energized, not tired and energy sapped and need of rest. And I'll tell you one thing you need to evaluate is in your relationships, yes, God puts us in lives of people that need help and they need something, but if your relationships don't rejuvenate you, you need to have rejuvenating, reliving, life-giving relationships as well. Then there are addiction yokes. We tend to think of all kinds of things, but I've seen people addicted to activity. They have to constantly be on the move. They can't stop and rest and relax. And there are addictions, addictions to alcohol and drugs, pornography and gambling, addiction to shopping or some other obsession. And we never rest until we get that next fix. We just need that one next fix. When I was a, when I was a kid, we lived in, uh, for a few years in southern Minnesota, Faribault, Minnesota to be exact. And that's, that's when we were Minnesota Viking fans. And I know we've got some closet Viking fans here, and I, I'm sorry, but Mostly Green Bay and a couple of closet um, Seahawk fans, but we, we won't talk about that. But we were Viking fans because we lived right by Minneapolis. And one Sunday afternoon, we were watching a particularly close and very intense game when the phone rang. And mom answered the call, and it was for my dad, who was the pastor of the church. The timing could not have been worse. The Vikings were first in goal on the seven-yard line with less than a minute to go in the first half. My father full of compassion, said to my mom, have whoever it is, hold on a minute. We're on the seven-yard line in less than a minute and halftime. Now, I don't remember if the Vikings scored or not, but according to my mother's recollection, my father then went to the phone. On the end, other end of the line was a very distraught woman who said, Pastor, I've got a real problem. My husband is a Viking football fanatic. Yeah, that's about how it went over in first service, too. <laughs> no rest. No rest. Be careful of addictions. Okay, I'm just kidding. You know, Dan, forgive me. Yeah, we, anyway, we'll go on. We'll move on. You need rest. That's why seasons end and the Super Bowl finishes, and then, we, then the wives get the rest. That's what happens. Burdens. Now, which of those burdens can you identify with? There are yokes that we choose. Then there are yokes that we don't choose. These are burdens that come into our life in some aspect that we need help for. Unchosen yokes. These could be health problems, health issues, sickness, physical illness, 
Could be mental illness, depression, emotional distress, things out of our control. Say, I didn't choose to have this genetic predisposition to whatever this is. And so we have unchosen yokes of health issues. Sometimes we have people's expectations. And we're more concerned about what other people think of us and cannot control what people think or expect of us. And it's a huge burden to try to live with other people's expectations, trying to please them. Or maybe your own expectations, enslaved by the impossible, which is called, which is called perfectionism. No rest. Maybe it's a burden of past hurts. You know, life is hard. You know, we learned that. You know, you kind of forget about it when you have your kids and your kids are in preschool and then they go to grade school and they, they start having things that happen on the playground and they have friends that don't like them or this or that or the other thing and all of a sudden you've got this stuff happening and you, you want to go ring that kid's neck or do something to the teacher. You know, there's just all kinds of things. We deal with hurts from the time we're little and, and they, they vary in severity over the time and I don't want to make light of those hurts but those hurts are not chosen by us. And sometimes we deal with those hurts forever, past hurts. And we need deliverance. We need rest from those things. We cannot, we cannot control past hurts, the anger, bitterness, and hatred, hatred, but we need deliverance from them in the present. Past hurts. Or future fears. You know, that, those are things in the past. What about future fears? I don't know what your future's like in 2016. You know, we've got this crazy stock market that's crashing, and some people are depending on their retirement and, and their, their dividend checks or whatever, or their IRA or whatever they have. They're hoping that it's going to do okay, and all of a sudden everything's tanking. They're wondering, what's going to happen in 2016? What's going to happen to that? People say, I, I know back in 2008 to 2010, people delayed retirement because all of a sudden their retirement was worth half or 40% of what it was. There's, there's this fear that comes on us, and it can paralyze us. What's, what's next week going to bring? Next year, am I going to be laid off? Will I be able to retire? What about the economy? What about the threats of terrorism and war? Uh, le, le, let me just say something. Judy and I try, to, try really hard to stay on top of the news, and I think it's important that we stay in touch with what's going on in our world. But don't get obsessed with it. Don't watch. In fact, we, we came to the conclusion that a healthy balance for us is to watch the news like twice a week. Any more than that, it's like you live the news. And there, it's, it never changes. It's always something bad. Okay? And we need to stay in touch with our culture and know what's going on. And I try to do that through the internet and TV news. It's just, you know, it just gets you bogged down, bogged down, bogged down, bogged down. And we end up with fear, living in fear, because we never know. We look at the world in this horrible, horrible uh, picture because something is happening over there. Your life may be fine, but over there it's bad, and so it, it colors everything. Just please ask for a rest from, and take rest from the news. We need a respite. We need rest. Then complexities of life. Life used to be so simple. Number five, complexities of life. Used to be able to take a nice drive, get away from the phone interruptions, go to a nice quiet restaurant. And you can turn off your cell phone, but there are three or four conversations going on around me. I, I, I'll never forget the first time I experienced what some of you experience is, uh, and and our, our daughters are now 29 and 32. They live in L.A., but when we get together, there would be times that we got together, and we're driving someplace in the car, and there's four conversations going on on four cell phones at once. You know, everybody just happened to call at the same time. So, you know, we're trying to have a nice family time. Yeah, right, okay, you know, that happens. Life is complicated. Life gets complicated. We need rest. 
rest, change of pace. Now the good news, okay, here's the, that's that picture of, of the need for rest. We are all invited to rest. We're all invited to rest. There's an invitation that says Jesus wants you to take a load off, okay? He wants to carry the load for you. What have you been carrying all this time? I don't know what your worry time is. Mine's at four in the morning, okay? If, if I have something I'm worried about, you know, I can go to bed and not think about it. I can get up in the morning, I'm fine. But at four in the morning, that's when I, I wake up and I worry, whether it's the finances or whether my kids are doing this or they get, are they safe or they, whatever, you know, and you get this, your imagination goes, you know, and all this stuff. And when you're half awake at four in the morning, you're not quite awake and not quite asleep, everything's worse, you know. How many, anybody else have a worry time somewhere? Okay, no, okay. That's when we need to say, God, take it, take it. The invitation is, Give it to me. He said, I will carry this for you. God is sovereign. God cares. God loves you. God will carry it. We carry so much of this ourselves. And Jesus says, let me carry it. The invitation is for everybody. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work it up. All you have to do is let go of it and say, okay, okay, I'll, I'll let you carry it. It's an act of the will. It's, it's something that we do and they say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to allow you to carry this. Sometimes we stumble along and say, you know, I, I'm getting used to it. I can do it. I'm okay. And no, there's an open invitation and the person is Jesus. It's Jesus. He says, come to me and rest because he's God and he has the ability to carry it. He has the ability to carry it. We need to let go of it. The invitation's there. And the qualifications are none. Some of us think, you know, I've got to qualify, I've got to earn it, I've got to do something to get, no. There's, there are no qualifications, no conditions, no prerequisites. The only one condition there is is that you need rest. It's a universal invitation. Now, what's the definition of rest? Because we, we get all kinds of different things in our mind when we think about rest. I will give you rest. I'll find rest for your souls. Rest in the Old Testament in Hebrew means cessation from motion, peace and quiet and relief. Okay? And that's part of what rest is. It's, it's cessation from motion, peace, quiet, it's relief. And he, when he's using the term rest, he includes that part of it. God rested on the seventh day and instituted the Sabbath. That was part of the rest. But there's more to this than just cessation of activity, peace, and quiet. It has to do with a full-orbed relationship with God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. When he's talking about rest, it's entry into all that God has promised. In the Old Testament, rest is spoken about in in terms of them entering the promised land and experiencing all of God's blessings. And he said, you will enter into the rest. There's the future rest, the eschatological end times rest, and we all rest from everything, and we die and go to heaven, and we're, for all eternity we're living in rest. But all of that is included. What's included, what, what makes sense here, is that it, God wants us to experience this full relationship with him. So it's not just cessation from activity, peace and quiet, everybody leaves me alone. This is a full relationship with Jesus Christ walking intimately, trusting in him, moment by moment by moment. 
And he says, join me, let me take this yoke. Let's join together, hip to hip. Let's join together and walk together. That's what he's talking about. Join me in my yoke. He said, I'll carry it. He said, I'll make it light. It's this yoke. And this is the yoke of relationship. Now, what's the process? What's the process? How does this happen? First of all, there's the entry into relationship with Jesus at the very beginning. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, he gave the right to, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is, and if you're here this morning, whether you, you need rest or not, or whether you're aware of it or not, the invitation for rest is to enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It includes asking Jesus to forgive your sins, accept his leadership, join his team, and then be yoked together with him. Make him the leader. That's the first part, is entry into that relationship with Jesus. That's what rest is. Secondly, he talks about learning. He said, take my yoke, learn from me. And that's learning. That's a call to follow Jesus. There's the entry into relationship, which is becoming his follower. And then there's the growing in that relationship, learning him, following Jesus, study his life, learn his actions, read his words, get to know his character, and allow the Holy Spirit of God, which is Jesus inside us, the Holy Spirit, to transform us, to allow that to happen. That's how we learn. We hear from God. He speaks to us, spirit to spirit. The word of God speaks to us. He speaks to us directly. And then serve with Jesus, serve with him. Serve with him. The difference between the yoke of the religious leaders and the yoke of Jesus was I have to or I get to. It was either rules or religion or relationship. Religion says I do things to please God. Relationship says God is pleased with me, therefore I do. Let me repeat that. Religion says I do things to please God. Relationship says God is pleased with me in relationship, therefore I do. That's a consequence, a natural or supernatural outgrowth of our relationship with God. If we love God, we keep his commandments. We don't earn it, we respond to his love. When we're in relationship with Jesus, joined at the hip, the yoke is easy, the burden is light, Jesus carries it or carries us. Jesus does not promise a life of inactivity or leisure, not even freedom from struggles or hassles or sorrows. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll just, you won't have any more yokes anymore, you won't have any more burdens. No, he said, bring your burdens to me, I'll help you carry it. I will carry it for you. So where are you today? Do you feel like that tired swimmer, out from the beach, short of the raft, in deep water, tired, about to go under for the third time. Jesus says to you, come to me, I will give you rest. That's the rest of the story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've promised us rest. You've promised to relieve us of the kinds of things that we deal with. And I pray that we'll take that seriously, Lord. Those that have never entered a relationship with you, that they would enter. Lord, those that, that we need to learn from you and learn of you and that we would be able to surrender those things that we carry.
that we will trust you to carry it. Father, it's so hard to let go of those things sometimes, and I just pray that you'll give us power and strength to do that. That we would just sense in your timing right now today, Lord, those that need to turn those things over to you so that they can rest. In Jesus' name. I'd like to just invite uh, two couples forward. If um, Dan and Diana would stand over here, if we could get... Mike and Rachel over here, and if you have prayer needs, something you, you need to pray for today, don't leave. Come up and pray. We believe that God answers prayer in miraculous ways. So as we're dismissed in a moment, feel free to come up and have prayer if you have a prayer need. Now may the love of God the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.